Welcome to Marketgy, the science of marketing strategy, a bi-weekly podcast where all the cool marketers discuss their favorite marketing strategies, study by study. On this show, we feature marketing risk takers who believe long-term wins for the customer equal long-term wins for the business too. How? Human-led marketing. The combination of where science, creativity, and strategy meet, or as we also like to call it, Marketgy. Let's break down the marketing trends, myths, and methodologies together. I'm your host, Leanne Dowweimer. Let's go. I am here with Jessica Yarbrough, and she is amazing. First of all, she is a business strategist who helps position clients to sell and create ultra high-end services. So she has a wealth of knowledge, and I'm so grateful that you're taking time out of your day to join me and have this conversation. Um, if you could just tell us a little bit about you and your background. Yeah. Well, my background was in business and marketing, hence I love this show. Uh, and, you know, I started consulting at a really young age. I built a startup company uh, before kind of taking a four-year hiatus. For those of you who ever wanted to do your eat, pray, love journey, I did that. <laughs> so ultimately building a, a, a seven-figure consulting company. And today I help a lot of experts in their field. So uh, people who have demonstrated excellence in the corporate world to then translate that into really high-end services that they can go in and turn around and coach, consult, or train uh, in companies with their knowledge. That's amazing. And right now, I feel like we're seeing an even greater need in this economic climate where there's been a just massive slew of layoffs and people are like, what do I do next? Yes. Um, so I saw a huge alignment between, one, the quality of your services. First of all, they're amazing. Um, but second of all, in this gap where companies are looking for the most efficient growth, and one way to do that is to utilize outside resources instead of have the internal headcount. And that's where your clients come in. Absolutely. I mean, the coaching and consulting world is a multi-billion dollar industry. So there's no shortage of need. There's far more businesses than there are coaches and consults out there. And, you know, if you're someone who has worked in your role for 10, 20 years, you have gathered a lot of intel, you have a lot of knowledge, you have credibility, you have uh, an ability to go in there and solve problems. And yes, for company, it's very attractive because you could be specialized, go in there and solve it, solve a need without having to go through HR and trying to find someone and, you know, having them fit the role, not to mention how expensive it is beyond, you know, uh, just to have an employee from tax and uh, benefits purposes. So it's benefit to the benefits. It's a benefit to the business and it's a benefit to the individual. And for the individuals, what they find is they have the ability to control their income, which is extremely attractive. You know, there is a ceiling that you're going to hit in, within the corporate world. And what this, unless you're going all the way to the C-suite, which brings its own challenges, but in general, you have the ability to determine your hours, uh, set your own income, take the projects you want, a lot more time, time freedom on the back end, I'll stress that, of, of building your company. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's something that really resonated with me because... Uh, there's so many ways to utilize being in charge of your own career outside of a typical corporate role. Um, for me, I used it to chase experience. I didn't want to be held back 
by waiting for someone to give me permission to work on the projects I wanted to work on, or I felt I had a skill gap, or that, you know, for some way, shape, or form, I could add value and would add value back to my career progression. Um, so this is something that I believe strongly in. Um, and also, I, I just kind of want to put this caveat is that it's not mutually exclusive to being in a corporate role. You can do both ethically and transparently um, as long as you set boundaries and respect. Absolutely. I have a lot of clients who will work a full-time job with the goal and do this on the side of exiting. And I've helped many clients who exited really actually high-paying roles because they were able to replace their income. I have other people who maintain their job and they use this, do this as like a side income, side hustle. And by the way, as an entrepreneur, I will say, I think every person that has a role should have a side hustle uh, just for the, the tax break and the additional income and the write-offs and all the things that come with it. Like have that ability and know that you have something you can fall back on because that whole myth of the golden handcuffs, like anytime you can get a pink slip. So if you really want to create certainty, you know, then have something, a buffer on the side uh, where you can count on that. Absolutely. Um, from my experience was that I had things set up where my clients had a 30-day notice required by their contract. You don't have a 30-day notice as an employee. You could go in like in five minutes, just be terminated. Yes. And that's that and have no recourse. And before we started our recording today, we talked about diversifying your assets. Your time is an asset. And I don't think people really have that sink in where they realize that, you know, time is money and blah, blah, blah. But the amount of time, money and effort you can put towards something is an asset that you have control over and you can build your wealth in numerous metrics by having this kind of in your deck of cards. And and not to try to like make this podcast episode into convincing people to be entrepreneurs because it's just not for some people. If it's not for you, don't feel pressured to force yourself into it. There's so many times and seasons and reasons where one situation might be better than the other. But as far as marketing goes, if this does appeal to you, you know, there's there's obviously going to be ways that you're going to um, be able to identify your target market as a consultant and be able to reach them differently than would be necessarily like a B2B SaaS or, you know, uh, e-commerce. And, and so that's kind of I would love to hear more from you about like what are kind of the biggest problems that people have when shifting into this. Yeah, well, let me just say, if you're a marketer and you're doing this, you're going to be way ahead of everybody else. So congratulations, because that's the missing link that most people struggle with. 90% of the, the entrepreneurs that are struggling to make that transition or to get traction or to go beyond, you know, let's say 250000 or so, 500000 it's a communication issue. So if you have a background in marketing, that's amazing because you are going to be more effective at communicating your value, at creating your messaging, and at positioning yourself as the expert. So I would say that is a huge piece. Um, most of the clients that come to me, 90% are not marketers. That's not their, in their wheelhouse. I still have 10% come to me that are marketers because it is still challenging, though I would say less so to do it for yourself because your stuff still comes up. You know, like, can I charge enough? Like your inner imposter self-worth stuff is still going to come up even if 
you have a good grasp on branding or messaging. So you have an edge. Doesn't mean that you still will fight your own battles or need support in other areas, but I will say it is a gift if you have uh, the aspect of marketing uh, in your suite of tools. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a phrase that the mechanic always has the broken car because yep. they're so used to doing it for their job that they don't necessarily, when they're off hours, they want to turn it off or, or they feel kind of cringy writing about themselves. They're like, oh, I, like, oh I'm not sure about that. And, and that is a struggle for so many people. Um, but there's ways around it. And once you kind of take a deep breath and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. Um, you know, one thing that you mentioned was about like the, the strategies for the, the target markets being a little bit different. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah. I mean, if you are going to go after B2B, obviously LinkedIn is the number one platform. I teach on LinkedIn. It's phenomenal. Um, and then you just have to be aware of who you're marketing to and how that's going to be different than if you're marketing to an individual. Uh, the kind of language that you need to use, the way that you approach them. Um, it's, it's different. It's more nuanced when it, you're marketing to the corporate world. The, the good uh, thing is that if you've been in that world, you're familiar with that language. So it should feel more natural to you. Um, and I would say the biggest thing is making sure that you're owning your value and, uh, and that you can demonstrate your value if you want to be effective at, at selling high value services. So a lot of uh, entrepreneurs come to me and they are seriously undervaluing themselves. Um, and that's a combination of, again, that self-worth, imposter syndrome. And by the way, I've even had people who are clients who are C-suite and Fortune 100 companies struggle with imposter syndrome. So it comes up for everybody. Uh, the other thing is there's a general lack of awareness of what the market is willing to pay. And so just know that companies have deep pockets to invest in outside uh, consultants. And so make sure that you're not undercharging because no one expects the best to be the cheapest and no one expects the cheapest to be the best. So you need to come in there, own your authority, position your value and make sure you're charging accordingly. Absolutely. Um, the biggest mistake I ever made in my career was undervaluing myself and under and therefore undercharging. And then if, if you think about it like, if you position yourself in a, as a Groupon instead of as a Louis Vuitton, what is the level of expectation? What are people expecting to get out of you? And therefore, what conclusions do they make out of you because of your pricing? A hundred percent. Yeah. Positioning when you're too cheap. Yeah. And then the conversations that happen when you're not in the room aren't in your favor. Yes. They're, they're you know, they pigeonhole you to being at the Groupon rate. So so maybe you offer like one or two people a Groupon rate to like get a little bit of, you know, testimonials and content and proof concepts. But you got to put a time limit on that. Yes. And you have to absolutely go for a higher caliber market because if you're undervaluing, you're going to keep attracting those types of clients versus up leveling and say, this is my value. And keep in mind, when we're talking about uh, high value programs, we're not just saying attach a, a big price tag for your time. I'm talking about positioning yourself to solve an urgent need to individuals or companies that value time more than money. They value time more than money because they don't have a lot of time. Their need is urgent, but they have a lot of money to throw at a problem. Those are your perfect clients that can literally pay you six figures for one client and replace your entire corporate income. 
So you need to go after those people. If you lower your prices, then you're going to be going after people who value money more than time. They don't have a lot of money. They have a whole lot of time. And they're the ones that are going to pay you those for those low value uh, packages and low value problems. Then you're going to be trapped in a volume based model, which is going to exhaust you. It's not sustainable, which is that trap of the generalists I know um, that I, I talk about in my guide. We see this race to the bottom on platforms like Upwork or Freelancer.com. And and there's a big difference between it. There is and there isn't, you know, nomenclature, right? Positioning, uh, messaging, right? There's a difference between a freelancer and a consultant. And sometimes they're used interchangeably. And sometimes they're, you know, at contemplate, contemplate, completely different ends completely different ends of a continuum. Absolutely. And you have to be careful about that. Like you don't want to be billing by the hour or submitting invoices because what you've done is now you've diminished your positioning. You're not even on a peer-to-peer level. They see you as more of an employee. They're going to analyze it. They're going to say, are you giving your value every month? You want to be on a peer-to-mentor level where they're paying you that sum of money. The hours aren't calculated. It's just the package. And, uh, and your positioning is transformed. There's respect that comes at that level. And you don't have to worry about tracking and submitting invoices every single month. They pay for a transformation. Here's the investment for the transportation and for the transformation, excuse me. And however they, uh, what your payment terms are, that's your payment terms. Yeah. And therefore, you're eliminating most of the ugly, annoying headache part of chasing, going, so, chasing clients, going out on your own. Like that, that is the biggest thorn in your side that you will get stuck on is the billable hours. Well, and you tap yourself. A lot of people realize that, you know, it's like you are going to be tracking and there are only so many hours that you can put in to a client because when you run a business and especially when you go all in on it, there's far more to it than just client delivery, right? Sales, marketing, there's uh, operations, there's accountant stuff, preparing whoever that's for, your bookkeeper. And for a lot of uh, a lot of individuals, like you are at the center of the business for a while until you uh, create enough cash flow and go through sometimes the painful process, quite often the painful process of building out systems and, and a team. So, you know, you you cannot bill your way to a half million dollars. That's that's it's a hard journey without burning out. Yeah, exactly. Um, one other benefit that is kind of you know, aligned with all the tasks that are associated with this is that the exercise of owning your own like project like this, yeah, therefore gives you a higher level perspective, a more executive level presence and perspective when you approach projects for marketing, right? All of a sudden, when you've been the person that has to add up the line items and you've been the person that has to get your vendors and you're the person that has to say, how much of my my own personal money am I spending on this and what kind of revenue do I hope to get from it? All of a sudden, if you were maybe more mid-level, you're starting to look at problems as more of a C-level yes. type of thing. And that continues to compound your worth. Absolutely. Like you're going to, it's going to stretch you, it's going to test you, and you're going to realize how complex things can get. And you'll be able to look at it from 30,000 feet and therefore be more uh, relate more to your clients and be able to articulate your value and the pack, uh, the package and the project 
scope and all of that more effectively because you've done it for yourself for all these different vendors that you've hired for your own business. Yeah. And um, sorry, I, I really, obviously, I have a soapbox here. Um, <laughs> but it also helps you as a vendor become, once again, if you're positioned as that mentor level resource, your customers, your clients, um, they start to look to you like, hey, do you have another vendor that does uh, SEO? Do you have another vendor that does photography or graphic design or copywriting? And they help to look, they start to look to you to weed out the shitty freelancers because, because it's a grab bag, right? There's, there's always going to be good and bad at both. But, um, the point being is that it helps you see other people's BS. A hundred percent. And it helps you become their preferred partner and you can develop relationships um, with your key people. I know I do with my clients all the time. They, of course, are looking for me. Who can you help for this role? Uh, and we have people that we can refer them to, which is a huge burden off their shoulders. Definitely. Um, so, you know, I feel like I, I kind of want to like bring us back to the marketing strategy of it all because, um, you know, while business strategy and marketing strategy overlap quite considerably. They are kind of different pieces of the puzzle. So from a marketing perspective, you know, what, um, what are some things that people should really think about when they're approaching like a LinkedIn to market themselves? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say, I think whether you have a, a side hustle or a full-time job that you should actively be building your brand on LinkedIn, period, end of story. Because that's going to position you for a next role in another company. It will help give you visibility to ascend up within your own organization. And if you build your influence, you don't know what other opportunities are going to come down the pipeline to sit on boards or whatever, even if you're not an entrepreneur, right? So right. you should be actively building your brand and visibility on LinkedIn uh, because you are you are creating future wealth. You're, you're starting to seed uh, those assets of your time, right? And so... When it comes to LinkedIn, it's all about building credibility. The thing I love most about this platform is that it is professional. So it's not Facebook or TikTok or Instagram. It's not about even like how you look. Uh, it's really about the message. And and I really appreciate that about LinkedIn. I know, Leanne, you, you and I chatted a little bit more about uh, how we feel about certain other platforms. And so the, it, it's it's beautiful. It's professional. The uh the search filters on Sales Navigator are incredible. You can really target and get a good sense of uh, key decision makers within an organization or even someone's net worth based on their job title if you're uh, doing B2C on the B2B platform. So it's really, really amazing. But you need to uh, focus on building relationships and focus on building credibility for the very thing that you stand for, for the problems that you solve. And, uh, and it will pay off hugely if you continue to work the platform. Absolutely. And where, you know, there's there's a caveat is that sometimes people just don't know what problem they solve and they don't know what size hole they fill. And I find that through having conversations with other people, you start to see patterns of like what you talk about the most, what questions people ask you the most. Yes. And you're able to evolve it and really put words behind maybe some of your thoughts or experiences. Absolutely. And also just start with where you're at. You don't know what to post. What's on your mind right now? You know, like start to get into the habit of posting and, and sharing uh, value wherever you can. Whenever you're trying to figure out what do I write about, to your point, 
What questions do you answer? What have you been your biggest wins in the past? If you are working with a, a company, what are the big problems that you solve that you can attach your name to and say, wow, I did this for them because there's gold right there. There's some genius there. And that's going to give you insight into what you probably should be talking about more and the kinds of problems you should solve going forward. Absolutely. Now, because LinkedIn is a public forum, there is that kind of problematic uh, confidentiality stealth mode or not NDAs that you do want to respect. Um, My two cents is that having a side project allows you to circumvent, you know, talking about necessarily like your inside corporate role or confidential projects or companies. And then you have something that is wholly your own that you have whole discretion over discussing. Yes. And then a lot of my clients, they do have to use discretion. So you don't have to disclose names or uh, people names, title names, even, you know, company names, you can say, this is just a scenario that happened and here's how we solved it. Right. And you can even say in the tech industry to be very broad sweeping and absolutely having a side gig will allow you to do that. Then you don't have to worry about crossing any of those boundaries. So. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Sales Navigator. So LinkedIn has like a suite of tools. They You could do ads, you could do Sales Navigator, you could do premium, you could be a content creator. How do you kind of see like when people should use why? I mean, I know that this is a little bit more like tactical. Yeah, definitely Sales Navigator everyone can get on pretty soon. It's really economical and, and that will allow you to filter it in filter down to the people that you're going to connect with. So I would say that would be number one. I, LinkedIn ads are very expensive, um, probably the most expensive of any social media platform out there. I run LinkedIn ads. I know a lot about them. Um, I never recommend running ads until you have a converting funnel. So, you know, for those of you who don't know, you probably do know, but it's a set of landing pages that pushes people to one call to action. And you know it's working because it takes them to the next step to make a purchase with you, whether that's automated or via phone. So if you don't have a converting funnel, you know, then you're going to be throwing money at uh, ads and, and you know, not converting those. So before you take on ads, I would recommend having that. And because you are competing, because it is uh, the B2B platform, you're competing with a lot of the big players, the software companies, banks, credit card processing. And so you have to be prepared to, uh, one, have a high converting funnel, two, uh, have a, hi- a high ticket product on the back end because that cost of acquisition is high or, uh, you know, a robust budget with high volume and sales team and all that if it's a lower ticket. LinkedIn ads are are expensive. They, yes, they just are. Um, but it almost like pre-target audiences it, you know, because. So, I mean, I'm a big fan. Yeah. There's a time and place for being expensive. Yeah. And it gives me great clients and I can afford to pay them because of uh, of the entry level for my program. So it makes sense. Um, but I would never recommend like a new coach or consultant take that on because you're still learning who you are. You're still trying to find your message. You still have your systems to build out. And no matter what, even for those of you who might be further along and say, hey, I'm thinking about uh, running LinkedIn ads, I will never stop my organic game. Oh, never. never. Because Yannick is that long-term trust building, continue to water your garden. Um, And yes, it's effort because organic is not free. It is earned. You absolutely earn their attention to record a podcast, to record a video, to write that content. Um, But 
you know, there's still, I still have massive, uh, a huge portion of my revenue comes from organic. And what I found is, you know, ads helps expand awareness, but then they start following you and the, the true trust comes from the organic. So it's like you might capture their attention with the ad. It doesn't mean you're going to convert them on the ad. So even the ads is a, is a long-term play. And that's also important. I will say um, the higher the ticket, the, high, the longer the sales cycle. And this is true for me when I sell to small businesses and even truer for those that sell to big corporations that have very long sales cycles with lots of red tape. And so just know that even when you're investing in ads, it doesn't mean instant sales, there's still the trust building campaign that needs to happen organically. And there's the awareness and time component that's going to happen with the ads as well. Absolutely. And and there's one thing I want to call out here is that we're all thinking about customer buying cycle when it comes to like our, our day job in corporate, right? We're like, okay, well, I'm a B2B SaaS marketer and the, the buyer cycle, you know, first it, it takes about like six months to a year. And the thing that I want people to remember is that if you're posting consistently, you have to remember that people's buying cycle for hiring you might also be six months to a year. Absolutely. So you might need to be posting every single day for, you know, 12 months before you see your return. But by the time you make that, that, that conversion is that it's, a friend buying from a friend. Yes, because 80% of sales happen before a conversation ever takes place. If your marketing is done right, that is 80% of the conversation. So when they come to you, it is not convince me, uh, you know, are you the right person? Who are you? They should already know, like, and trust you. And it's an alignment conversation. Like, do I want to help you? This is me. Do I want you as a client? Do I want you to have access to me? Do I, you know, do I want to invite you into my inner circle? if you will. Um, and, and that's really what, what, what great marketing is, is having that long-term trust campaign where you get on the phone with someone and they're like, I love everything that you write. I, you're so consistent. I feel like you're, are you listening to the conversation I'm having with my husband at dinner? You're in my head. Like, that's what you want. All of that can be done, but absolutely. And like what you said is I feel like so many people do it for a couple months and give up like anything. Like during COVID, we saw them the most podcast launch ever. <laughs> There's a 30% drop off. It's insane because people don't stick with something long enough for it to have a compound effect, right? So just like your podcast, just like posting, it's a compound effect, but you have to do it well and you have to do it for a long time. That's why I say it takes 10 years of consistently showing up seven days a week to get to thought leadership. How else are you going to anchor in your ideal client's mind that you are an expert if you don't do it and do it consistently for that magic component of time uh, year after year. Yeah, there's that book about like 10,000 hours. Yes. Um, I love that book. 10,000 posts, right? <laughs> 10,000 posts. Wait, wait, really? I mean, when I can think about five years ago when LinkedIn was a little bit different than it is now and I was looking for my first clients and I just put out like one post and I got like three clients. But those were people that had already met me in person. They watched me go through business school. They were like, they saw how much caffeine I consumed. And they were like, she's going to get shit done for me. Yes. Um, and, you know, that that's what you want to happen for strangers or, you know, they were strangers, but now you're bringing them into your inner circle. 
you want them to to be that familiar with you. And that just takes time. Well, and I think what it's important to understand is that, especially for LinkedIn, they're a more sophisticated buyer. So yes. not Facebook where people are like, even though I did get a message or it's hilarious LinkedIn and mail or whatever, where somebody was like, I'm giving away my $12,000 coaching course for free. And I'm just black. <laughs> so I'm like, this does not work on this platform. Um, not for the high caliber buyers. And so it, it's not that it's not $27 course flashy. Here's my Lamborghini or whatever. None of that stuff works on LinkedIn. It's a sophisticated, high level buyer. And so I feel like they even watch longer than they would on other platforms. They're not as impulse buyers, right? It's not their first rodeo. The uh, slick tricks don't work. So they want to see, are you who you say you are? Um, that old term in uh, wor- uh, website development, WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get. Like, is that you? And they're only going to know through that component of time and saying, do they show up consistently? Are they saying the same thing? Are they still speaking to me? And, and that's the game for LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the long-term game. But if you're willing to play the long-term game, it's very fruitful. Very fruitful. It's the highest caliber, highest paying clients that you're going to get. Um, and they're a joy to work with because they're professional. Absolutely. So if, if you're, you know, like if we're going to take a couple steps back and we're going to do some marketing 101, go to where your audience is at. If that's your audience, that's where they're at. They're not on Snapchat looking for consultants. They're not on Reddit. I mean, maybe they are, but they're not on Reddit being like, yeah, that's the person I'm going to pay, you know, six figures to to answer my problems. Now, I'm not saying those don't things don't happen in outlier situations, mm-hmm. but that's not the context of the places. Yes. If someone's trying to define their target market what else can they do like or or how can they do market research on LinkedIn to identify more about their ICP? Well, they can definitely use Sales Navigator and target by company size and industries and job titles, and years of experience and years at the company. So you can do deep dive targeting on LinkedIn, but I'm a big fan of survey. Mm-hmm. I feel like the best way to know your ideal clients to get on the phone with them and survey. So a combination of doing research because we've got great companies like McKinsey and Deloitte who have spent millions of dollars doing research. So feel free to mine that data on your behalf as a consultant. Um, and then also to actually get on the phone and speak to your ideal client. You know, And I think that is the most powerful way to understand who they are, what they're struggling with. The key is though, and this is what most people get wrong, is you gotta ask the right questions. A lot of people are very generic. You've gotta ask the right questions to build the information that you need. So whenever somebody comes to me and we do some of these exercises, they'll be like, oh, I've done this before. And then I'm like, well, we're going to do it again. And they have massive breakthroughs because they realize they've never really done it right. Yeah. I mean, your super skill needs to be what questions you ask. Yes. Um, sales. What? <laughs> Even sales. It's all about the questions that you're asking. If you're asking the wrong questions, you're going to get the wrong answers. And yeah. you're just going to go down uh, the wrong pathway. So if we're thinking about a situation where what we're talking about here is not ideal um, or it's this strategy is, you know, of personal branding on LinkedIn is the wrong fit, what, who or when would that be? You mean where it's not a right fit for it to market on LinkedIn? Yeah. Like, like when would, would 
uh, this personal branding kind of move, um, you know, as marketing ourselves, where would this strategy be? Like, who would this be wrong for? Who would you be like, "Mm, you know what, maybe we should just not do that. I would say, for example, health coaches, unless you are marketing to the corporate world, meaning you want to teach wellness programs, absolutely. If you want to sell, like you want to speak on burnout recovery, you know, um, then I would say LinkedIn is the place for you. But if you're trying to sell health co- healthcare coaching, you know, to individuals, you're better off on a platform like Instagram. Yeah, that's it. That would be the main thing. But if you're if you are an executive coach, leadership coach, strategist of any kind, operation, marketing, business, if you are change management, if you are a healthcare consultant, if you do any kind of career coaching, absolutely, you know, LinkedIn is the place for you. Agreed. Um, recently, I got stuck in a loop of ads where it was all of this woman holding out her waistband to show how much weight she lost. And it was like every five ads. I was like, first of all, this is a glitch. But second of all, this is LinkedIn. Yes. Like it's it's rude to assume that just because I am uh I have this gender and I am of this age range, that I automatically want to lose weight and that your services are the only way for me to do that. Like I've never seen that on on there. Usually the ads that I'm being served are for softwares or for like get your masters and oh yeah those for sure kinds of those are the main ones that I'm seeing I don't even actually get served a lot of lead generation things most of that is happening in my uh, DMs constantly the, the page see seventy five qualified appointments per week our setters don't <laughs> you don't pay until they close and all of those canned uh, messages that are constantly uh, being uh, sent out on LinkedIn don't buy that from those companies but. <laughs> No, no, don't. If if you're going to use automation, use it to like say hello, but don't use it to be like, we're connected. Bye now. Like I just I just blocked someone for this again. Right. Because this is a daily occurrence. So uh, automation tips, just real quick, if people need to hear this somehow, um, you know, it, it's this far into 2023 and somehow people are still doing this. Do not um, don't do it. Don't pitch slap people. Yeah, don't spam. In fact, I would highly recommend your audience going to my YouTube channel and watching the do's and don'ts of LinkedIn lead generation in 2023. I think we just dropped it like a week or two ago. And I talk about that. And I also teach you what to do. So go and watch that. And I said, save yourself some embarrassment. I think is what I say. <laughs> yes, you should be embarrassed. If you are spamming people and pitch slapping them, you should be embarrassed. You probably aren't. And that's the problem. <laughs> Well, and I think this goes back to the long-term credibility uh, building campaign. So what is your end game? What's the end game for LinkedIn for you? Is it some cash, so quick cash grab? Because those strategies do work for a certain kind of market and you need to think about, but at what cost? So if you are able to grab a quick 3000 or 5000 or $10,000, but you just turned off 99% of your ideal clients, who could pay you six figures, then was it worth it? Because there is a cost to everything. So does the spam work? Yes, I'm sure that uh, scraping data, which is a gray area and a no-no, which I also talked about in the video, and cold emailing people against without their permission and even texting. I've had people pull my phone number down and text me without permission. All of those tactics, are they going to work and get you some cash? Sure, but what is the long-term cost 
to all the amazing clients that could have paid you a lot more and that you totally turned off with those uh, kind of spammy tactics. Right. It's all about what is the product, what are you selling, and who are you selling to, and how do they like to be communicated with? Yes. Now, you know, if I'm signing up for um, like uh, one of those meal kit subscriptions. Yes. That's where texting makes great uh, yeah, update your menu for the week. It's time. But I'm talking about not volunteer, not even. Right, right, exactly. And that's where the context of your ideal client matters so much. Um, they're not going to be impressed with the gift. <laughs> the reason why I say that is because if you are, you know, entering entrepreneurship or you're trying to get clients, the people that are going to be marketing the hardest to you are those kinds of companies. And just you have to look at what's the end game and what's what's it worth. And again, patience, I feel like, is one of the most underrated qualities of being successful. You know, everybody wants it and they want it now. Like they want to snap their fingers and be on the beach in Mexico with a Mai Tai in their computer, which no one wants to, by the way, work on a computer at the beach. It's sandy. The sun is bright. So don't buy into that illusion. Um, <laughs> You can't see anything. There's bugs. It's like your wit, your notebook is blown around. It's actually very unpleasant. It's unpleasant. You, you want to go on vacation and like shut the laptop. So uh, you just need to be aware of that and, and be aware of like, hey, I'm in it to play the long, long game. And I know that if I do things and I do it right and I approach people the right way with that amount, uh, the, the right amount of rapport and respect and I build that credibility that I'll land these clients. And then I'm going to, once I land them and they entrust me with this large sum of money, I'm going to do everything in my power to ensure that they are set up for success to get the results promised. And then I'm going to take those results and I'm going to use those as case studies to drive brand reputation and create more demand for my services. It is not the quick approach. It is not the sexy approach, but it is the one that is long lasting and it is the one that will elevate you to an expert authority and create trust in the marketplace versus being positioned for the low level, you know, spray and pray, grab and go, pitch, slap uh, marketers out there. Yeah, I mean, there's. <laughs> and in coming back to, you know, equating this with, you know, typical marketing metrics and models and things like that is what is your cash runway? Are you, what is your churn rate? What is your, you know, lifetime value for a customer? What is your pipeline velocity? How are you demand gen? Like, what are you doing for demand gen for yourself as a professional? And when you start to apply all of those business principles to yourself and to your career, and you realize that your career is a business unit of one, it changes everything. 100%. And now I hope you got the goosebumps from that listeners because I did. Um, but, you know, um, there's so many metrics of being successful. And I think that, you know, kind of circling back to something that you said, Jessica, earlier was that on your own terms, life balance kind of aspect of it. Yes, it's huge. You know, it, and so many people are sitting and maybe this is you're you're at your desk and you're like, I feel like my soul is seeping out of me. Okay, that's. That's that voice telling you it's time to make a change. And so if you want to create time freedom, I'm not saying this is the easiest path. The easiest path for me when I started my company, I was a single mom pregnant with my daughter. 
would have been to get a job, a marketing job, and to say, okay, here's my six figures. Here's my two-week vacation. There's no way that I wanted to do that. Not after my Eat, Pray, Love journey, because I had tasted the freedom of travel, you know, and, and that's what I wanted to do. But, you know, if you truly want to set your hours and if you truly want to control your income, then entrepreneurship is the way to go. It took me many years to build to the level that I'm at today and a, a lot of hard lessons. And it definitely stretched me as a person. But, you know, I can honestly say that I work 25 to 30 hours a week, that I never work Fridays, that I pick up my daughter and, and drop her off and I'm present for everything in her life. And that we take five to six weeks of vacation per year. And there's no way I would be ever at this level of income, much less freedom in terms of travel and time, if I had not been on this entrepreneurial journey. So be willing to do the things that most people aren't willing to do now to have the things that most people will never have. Exactly. Um, And it's not for everyone. You have like it, and and that's okay. There's no judgment one way or another. Um, you know, some people feel better in the security of the typical corporate structure. They they like that someone else is doing the accounting. They like that someone else is handing out assignments. And and there's that can be a wonderful system for people to flourish. And if they you know take their um, their salary and they live within their means, they can build wealth that way too. Yes, um, absolutely. Through investment, they belong gain that way. So is. I just I as as much as I love entrepreneurship, I always want to make room for everybody to feel like they have some way to do this and not feel overwhelmed because it can be fun. It's a lot of fun for me. Um, because I like to experiment. Um, I like to have control over things and to play around just for funsies. You know, I would never have um, a chalkboard background with like purple and pink for a financial institution. Um, that's not right for them, but this is right for me because it's fun. Yeah. Um, and so I just want people to have fun. Have fun. And again, entrepreneurship's not for everybody, but you can certainly start building your personal brand to help position you for next level leadership positions, opportunities, speaking engagements. I mean, I was just chatting with my best friend who's not interested in entrepreneurship. Like she's, uh, you know, kind of climbed her way up and sought after and all of that. But she was like, I really enjoy speaking. I, I could do speaking on the side. And I was like, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could go get $25,000 for a keynote uh, uh, speech. And she was like, huh. So even her who has, who will always have a job and that security and really loves like the whole dynamic of corporate and the structure and all of that, even she's like, oh, this is something that could be a passion side thing that would be fun that isn't, hey, launching a full-on coaching consulting business, but Hey, I do some speaking on the side and it's passion and it, and it, it would give her joy and she could have fun with it and make some money. So, you know, you can be open to possibilities. There's always something, follow your passion, um, do something that lights you up and uh, if it can put money in your pocket, even better. Absolutely. On that note, if someone wanted to learn more, what kind of, what are some things that they would do um, in order to hear more about what you have to say? 
I would definitely say go to jessicayarber.com forward slash influence and download my 33-page guide on the four, la- the four levels of the ladder of influence and how you ultimately grow your authority to scale a seven-figure-plus company. Um, I would always say, also say connect with me on LinkedIn. Please send me a connection request and let me know you heard me on this show. And of course, I put out content every single day on LinkedIn and uh, daily on YouTube as well. Awesome. And then for the people that are only listening and not watching the video part, how do they spell your name? Y-A-R, or Jessica, J-E-S-S-I-C-A, last name Yarbrough, Y-A-R-B-R-O-U-G-G-H. <laughs> Great. And we we will have links in the show notes. Um, but just in case you're, you know, you want to just act on it right now, that's that's the way to do it. Um Jessica, thank you so much for your time and joining me today. Um, This has been a wonderful conversation. Um, Thank you for indulging my passion for entrepreneurism. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Leanne. It was a pleasure. And thanks, everybody. Thank you. Um, And if anyone has any questions for me, it's info at markigy, M-A-R-K-I-G-Y dot com. You've been listening to Markigy, the science of marketing strategy. If any of the strategies we talked about today inspired you to learn more, try them. Remember, the perfect strategy doesn't exist, only the one that gets done. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player to make sure that you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Until next time.